Good morning, guys. Good to see you all here today. Do me a favor. Uh, grab your bulletin that you received when you walked in. There's pens in the seat backs and the chairs in front of you. And uh, I want to encourage you to take notes today. We started a series six months ago that we titled Inspired. And we were looking at the 66 love letters of God. And our vision is Dustin and Nick and I began to talk last February was uh, praying through how can we take our people through the entire Bible? How can we strategically point people to the Word of God so that they can grow deeper with the God of the Word? And so starting in early June, we launched out in Genesis, and over the last six months, we have been crawling and plowing our way through the entire Bible. There's been so many great comments from our people here. Some have never read some of the books of the Old Testament, and uh, to be encouraged to really dive deeper and to contemplate the Word of God has really uh, helped so many in their growth. Now today we find ourselves uh, in book number 66. We find ourselves in the book of Revelation. So many people I talk to are afraid of the book of Revelation. They're scared to contemplate the book of Revelation. And I will say this to you. The book of Revelation for the person who knows Christ personally, who has surrendered to Christ, it's not a scary book. But for the person who is lost, but for the person who is carnal, who is not locked in, Revelation can scare the daylights out of you. It can be a freaky book according to where you're at. Now, the book of Revelation is interesting. The book of Revelation starts chapter 1 and finishes in chapter 22 with a promise to bless those who read it, who listen to it, who study it, and who obey it. Listen to these verses right here. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and obey the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Jesus is coming back. We don't have that much time here on this planet. Blessed are those right out of the gate to those who read it, those who listen to it, those who obey it. Blessed are those people that really dive in and take God serious and honor what he says, for the time is near. Revelation 22, 7. Blessed are those, last chapter of the Bible, blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. Don't you want to live a blessed life? Don't you want God to bless your life? The word blessed means to be full and satisfied and content. And so the book of Revelation begins and ends with a promise to those who will pick this word up, who will ponder it, study it, meditate on it, implement it into your life and do what it says. There's a lot of people that will read the Bible but will not do what the Scripture says. The Bible says, even in James, he says, let us not just be those who hear the Word, let us be doers of the Word of God. And so the gap for most people is not in hearing it. The gap is in hearing it and in doing it. So I want to encourage you today as we ponder the book of Revelation. It's not a scary book. It's an inviting book. 
But it invites us to really respond to who Jesus Christ is. You go, what is the key uh, verse in the book of Revelation, Tim? I would say that it's chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2. Listen to what he says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why the book starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. He sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant by the name of John. And John, in writing these things, testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So what is the message of the book? I'm going to give you seven kind of key words that I'll play on as I kind of give you an overview today. The first one is the message. What is the message? The message is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for the word revelation is phenomenal. The Greek word for the word revelation is the word apocalypse. In our society, the word apocalypse has all this scary connotation attached to it. People go, oh, the apocalypse. And they think uh, in times, which we should, but they think scare. They think fright. They think fear. And when you see the revelation, the word revelation is the apocalypse. I was looking at this video the other day of Billy Graham when they were honoring him with these statues being dedicated in his honor. And I thought, that right there is what the word revelation means. Uh, the apocalypse, it means to unveil. It means to reveal. It means to uncover. It means to pull the, the, the curtain back and disclose. So when you see the book of Revelation, listen to me, it is the revealing, unveiling, the disclosure of Jesus Christ. So John gets this revelation. Are you scared of Jesus? No. I'm in love with Jesus. I want to reveal to you what the future Christ will look like. I want to reveal to you the excitement of what the future Christ will do with those who love him, who obey him, who follow him. And so when you start to ponder it, it's like, man, it's so awesome. Because the book of Revelation is the unveiling. It's the revealing of the person, the plan, and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, just listen to me. We would never ponder and even consider that the book of Revelation is probably the most powerful book to proclaim at Christmas. But it's the revelation, the unveiling, the apocalypse of Jesus. So many would prefer to go back to Luke, Matthew, and to see a newborn laying in straw. But the newborn laying in straw doesn't require anything from us. He doesn't challenge us with anything. Shepherds that see stars, they, it, it doesn't challenge us. But the book of Revelation, the revealing of Jesus. Why do we gather in this church? To celebrate Jesus. The revealing of Jesus. Revelation is the greatest book to preach at Christmas. Because it is the revealing of the person, power, and the plan of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the central focal point of the entire Bible. So when we read the book of Revelation, it invites us to live with eternity as the backdrop, but it invites us to live local but to think eternal. It invites us to live every day right now tapped into the fullness of who Christ is. I want you to live local. I want you to be where I've got you. But I want you to think eternal. This is not it. And I'm going to 
unveil, I'm going to reveal what the future looks like. So the message is the revealing, the apocalypse of Jesus. Everybody with me? All right. Now, I want you to know it. I'm teaching today so that you will know what the book of Revelation is about, and you will ponder even more deeply who Jesus is. Now, who's the audience? Who was it written to? Well, we know that it was written by John. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation. We know that John had been exiled to a place called Patmos. We know that all the other disciples pretty much died martyrs' death, meaning they were killed for their faith. We know that John was, he was dipped down into boiling water. They, uh, they tried to kill him. Many believe his skin and everything pretty much just fell off his body because he was dipped in this burning water and oil. But we know that while he was on the Isle of Patmos, they were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to shut up all evangelical voices at that time that God gave him this revelation. And as he writes it, you've got to say, who was he writing it to? Point two, who was his audience? The audience was the seven churches that existed in that day. The audience was the seven churches, but the audience is you and I. And these seven churches, when you read these seven churches from Ephesus all the way down to Laodicea, were literal in that day. But I believe that the, listen, listen, I believe that the practical takeaway when you start to study Revelation 2 and 3 of the seven churches, they represent seven individual states that represent people that come into church today. And so it's a warning. Get right. Sell out. Jesus is Lord. He's not asking you to make him Lord. He is Lord. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. He tells them right out of the gate, the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. Get back to it. Seven literal churches, seven literal states of people that walk in here. Week after week, some people have left their first love. We'll drill way deep into these seven churches next week. Uh, Smyrna, he says, uh, I applaud Smyrna in Philadelphia. Those are the two churches that he kind of applauds in the seven, if you will, he goes, you're going to suffer persecution, but you're going to stay with it. I'm proud of you. Don't be afraid to persevere in persecution. It's like, that, that, that's good. There's people here every week that need to hear. Hey, persevere. Stay with it. You're going to go through persecution. Don't, 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 throw, don't throw the towel in. Pergamum, this church had entertained the adulterous, immoral lifestyle. They were living in sin. He rebukes them. It's one of the seven. There's people that come in here on Sundays that are living in adultery. They're living a life of immorality. And I've had people tell me, Paul, I've had people tell me over the years, I remember dealing with a couple years ago, and I said, man, they came, and then they didn't come for three or four months, and they would come, and they wouldn't come back. And I asked a family member of that couple, I said, well, why don't they come? I, I, I really like them. They're not married. They're living in sin. They know it, and they feel convicted. Then get it right. Please get it right. You don't have to live in sin. Get it right. And as soon as you get it right, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. But I, I, I look at that and I'm like, there's people. There is people that come in here on Sunday. And deep down inside, you're like, I, I really do love God. But I'm not willing to get it right. 
and you're missing out. You, you, you're, you're a hearer of the word, but you're, but you're not a doer. He tells the church at Thyatira, you guys tolerate corruption. You've allowed the spirit of Jezebel to dwell. And you've got to clean up some of the corruption. Some of these teachers that you're listening to are corrupt and you're empowering things that are not of God. It's one of the conditions that people come in here with on Sunday. The church at Sardis. He just said right out in scripture, you can read about the church of Sardis. He goes, y'all are dead. Y'all are just thinking dead. You're asleep. The world is going to hell in a handbasket and you're laying around as if nothing's happening. Where is the fire and passion of Christ in you? It's one of the conditions of the churches there, but it's one of the conditions of people that come in here. The church of Philadelphia, Philly, Phileo, the city of brotherly love. He writes to him and he goes, y'all are enduring. Y'all are staying faithful. Even in the midst of conflict and difficult things, you stay with it. I'm proud of you. Again, Smyrna, Philadelphia, he applauds them. You're going through adversity. You're being persecuted. You're staying with it. Philadelphia, I love y'all. Stay faithful. And then he looks at the church of Laodicea and he goes, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. I want to spew you. How do I, my mouth get right? Listen to me. The audience, don't miss it. Don't miss it. The audience is us. And the revelation that God has given to John is this. Tell them to get right. Tell them to get right. Tell them to make everything right. In their hearts, tell them don't miss out. Don't miss out. Why? Because by the time you get to chapter 6, all the way up until the early pages of chapter 19, the majority of the book that is written by John, this revelation, covers a seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation. That's the third word. What's the message? It's the apocalypse, the revealing of Jesus. Who's the audience? The seven churches and you and I. He's writing for us. He's pulling for us. Where's the majority of this book spent? What is it spent emphasizing? The seven years of tribulation. And uh, the seven years of tribulation, when you start to study, let me give you a word, let me give you a word. The word is eschatology, E-S-C-H-A-tology, eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. You've got the different theological umbrellas of apologetics and hermeneutics and homiletics and whatever you get to end time study. The word is eschatology. It's the study of end times. And Daniel deals so much with end times. Revelation deals so much with end times. Tim LaHaye wrote a series uh, about 15, 20 years ago that he titled the Left Behind series. And there was a lot of buzz of people even in the church reading the Left Behind stuff. But he was writing with a heart of saying, make sure you know Christ. Make sure you get it right. We don't want to see anybody left behind. He also wrote a book called uh, Revelation Unveiled. I re read that book years ago. And it's one of the best, I believe, if you want to study deeper in Revelation. But when you start to look at the seven years of tribulation, I want you to hear this and I want you to get it. The seven years of tribulation starts, I believe, with the church being raptured. The word rapture doesn't appear in Bible. 
in the Bible, but it means that the church is going to be called out by Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we're going to be called out. Uh, Corinthians deals with this whole concept of the church being called up and called out. And so there's a lot of different, just hear me, there's a lot of different thoughts when it comes to tribulation. When does the church get called out? People will say, well, I'm pre-trib, meaning I believe the church is called out before tribulation. There's some people that are mid-trib. They believe that the church will be called out in the middle of the tribulation. There, there's even some, a few evangelicals I've met, that land more with post-trib, meaning after the tribulation and before the big showdown and battle takes place of Armageddon, the church will be called out. I've studied it. I'm a pre-tribber. I believe we're going to be called out and called up with Jesus before this seven-year period. I believe that because for those left behind, it's almost going to be impossible for you to come to faith in Christ. The church is going to be pulled out. Uh, people that even acknowledge Christ during this time and repent, many will be killed. Revelation talks about the 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses have jacked that one up, but the 144,000 is from the 12 tribes. God's still going to extend his mercy to all the millions of people on the planet. Many believe that 144,000 means 144,000 will come to faith in Christ during that seven-year window. Only 144,000 during that time based on Revelation 15 and 16, we'll get to it. God's going to pour out his wrath on those who are left behind. There's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation, of heartache and trouble. The first three and a half years will look somewhat doable or endurable, but the last three and a half years of the tribulation, if you study eschatology and times, it's going to be hell. It's going to be misery. It's going to be horrible. Listen to me, listen. Chapter 16, verse 1. I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels. He said this to the seven angels. Pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing the seven wraths. Hold that thought. I'm going to come back to it. I heard a mighty voice. Listen to this right here. Seven angels. If you go back to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, John sees and he writes this. I heard him say to the angel of the church, write this. And he says that to all seven. To the angel of the church, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Listen. The number seven, write it down, circle it, repeatedly appears in Revelation. We're over here talking now about the seven years of tribulation. He's over here talking about seven stars and seven lampstands and the one who has the seven spirits. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of being perfected. I've studied biblical numerology years ago. 
The number one is the number of unity. Let us be one. The two became one. Barb and I yesterday celebrated 28 years. And the two become one. Yes. The number two is witness. Jesus would oftentimes send them out in pairs where two or more are gathered. Three is the number of life, body, soul, and spirit. It's the number of life, three, when you see it in Scripture. Father, Son, and Spirit, triune God, full of life. Four is the number of the world, north, south, east, and west, the four corners, the four main rivers. Five in the Scripture is the number of grace. You study it. Five is a powerful presentation of the number of grace. Six is the number of man. That's the reason when you read in Revelation, talking about the number of the mark of the beast, 666, the number of man, 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 worshiping man, of submitting to the reign and rule of man. Number seven is the number of completion. I, he says, I saw the one who has the seven stars. Let me hit this for you. This is important for you to know. He, the one who has the seven stars, the one who has the seven spirits. Who is that? It's Messiah Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Verse, the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11 verse 2 points toward this revelation statement that John is getting. Seven. He's got the seven stars. What are the seven stars? It's the angels that were overseeing the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. But it says, to him who has the seven stars in his right hand. Right hand was always a declaration of power and authority. And so when John sees this, he goes, Jesus is in power. Jesus is in authority. He's got the seven stars. He's got the seven spirits. He is complete. He is perfect. He oversees. Come on. This book is an, in, it's an invitation to fall deeper in love with Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. Jesus is in authority. Jesus is in full power. So you get to chapter 16, and he says, I heard a mighty voice from the temple. <clears throat> Say to the seven angels, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's wrath. Seven, again. And there's seven plagues that are mentioned here. But chapter six, 16, verse 2, it talks about the rash and the sores on the human body that people can't even heal from. People are going to be like infected during this time. It talks about that the water is going to become like blood and not be drinkable. It talks about that the sun is going to scorch down and, and it's going to fry the earth and it's going to fry people. John says, I, I see this happening. During these seven years of tribulation, those last three and a half years, it's going to be hell. The people that are left behind, it, it's going to be terrible. They need to repent now. Church, you need to repent it's what he's writing. Uh, get it right. I don't want to see you left behind. Chapter 16, verse 20. He says, every island, every island, I just saw it disappear under the, the water, the oceans. All the mountains were leveled. 
There was a terrible hailstorm. The hailstones weighing 75 pounds fell from the sky on the people below, and the people cursed God. Why are you cursing God? God has been gracious. God has given us so many opportunities to respond to him. Don't get left behind. Evaluate where you're at. Don't, don't, don't get left behind. There was a brother that reached out to me. Last Sunday, I got a talk. And he ended up dialoguing with Dustin. And he met with Dustin for a while on Monday. And they came up to my office. And the guy goes, I've got to get it right. I don't want to live this way anymore. Have you ever surrendered? No. But I want to. How do I do it? I said, I don't know. You tell me. And he falls on his knees and he cries out to God in my office Monday. Jesus, save me. I need you. Take over my life. I can't save me. Dustin started walking with his brother on Monday. And I was like, praise the Lord. This guy wants to get it right. I don't want to be left behind. I want to I want my life to count. I want to leave my family. It's time to get it right. I, I got to get it right. And the desperation was so beautiful. Then you see the fourth thing. After tribulation, it goes right in, bam, to Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. And this is where Satan is defeated and he is bound by the king of kings and lord of lords for a thousand years. He's tied up. He's locked up for a thousand years. The Battle of Armageddon. Barb and I stood there on Mount Carmel back in January in Israel. And we were looking down through the valley of where the Battle of Armageddon would take place on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is where Elijah the prophet had called down fire from heaven against the prophets of Baal. And God is God. Worship him, not these false prophets. And what's going to happen in that valley? With the battle of Armageddon, all the false prophets and Satan himself will be bound for a thousand years. Is it going to happen? Yes. And God's going to pour out his wrath and the Antichrist and all the followers and the people that reject Messiah Jesus. Is it going to happen? Yes. You read chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. And I'm telling you what, guys? Standing there in January. Standing there in January as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I was like, man, this is where Elijah called down the fire from heaven in 1 Kings. I've studied it. I've pondered it. And I looked out over the valley. And the Israeli army has all these planes, and they're ready for battle. They're ready. But you look out through that valley, and it's like when we... Walked away from Mount Carmel that day and got back in our bus to take off. As I stood there, I looked over that valley and I said, I am coming back to this spot. I'm coming back with Jesus to this spot. This spot, remember it. Because if you die, you're still coming back to this spot, brother. There's a battle going on. And Satan will be bound for a thousand years, which leads us into the millennium. And that's where we reign and we rule and we celebrate with Jesus for a thousand years. Christ will reign and rule. 
and all those who follow Christ will reign and rule with him. We're going to reign and rule with the king. There's no more wars. There's peace. There's righteousness. I was reading this this week. Revelation 20. I saw thrones. And the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge, reigning and ruling. This, this fired me up right here. I was thinking about Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, so many others. I saw the souls of those who had been, John the Baptist, who had been beheaded because of their relentless faith and testimony in Jesus. Because they had proclaimed the word of God. They were not ashamed of the gospel. I saw them. John says, I saw them. They had not worshipped the beast. They had not given in to take the mark of the beast. They all came to life and they reigned with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. They became priests of God, priests of Christ, and they reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. When you read this, it says that Jesus comes back and he's got written on his leg as he's riding that white horse. And it says, faithful and true. The one who is faithful and true. And the Bible says that we'll be on horses reigning and ruling for a thousand years if we're sold out to Christ. But if not, you're back over doom for a thousand years in Armageddon bound with Satan. So we're going to be raptured. Yes, we're going to go up like Superman and then we're coming back like the Long Ranger reigning and ruling with Jesus. You scared of the book of Revelation to him? No. I embrace it because I want to listen to it and I want to read it and I want to obey it and I want to be faithful to the king. Don't you? You don't want to be left behind. And then he talks about the judgments to come. Let me jog through it. Chapter 20, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the one who is faithful and true. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. All were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. This is where you read about this eternal torment in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And listen to what he says. Those who had rejected Christ, those that he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Listen to what he says in verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found written or recorded in the book of life was also thrown into the lake of fire. See, I think this is the part when you start to deal with tribulation, Armageddon, millennium, you start to deal with the judgments being poured out. You hear me, Craig? I think this is where people start to freak. Is my name written in the book of life? And, 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 and here's part of it. Here's part of it. Here's part of it. Just as your pastor and a person who loves you. Is my name written in the book of life? Many of us struggle with having assurance of our salvation because we walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but there's been no indication that we've heard, listened, and obeyed the Word of God. 
He goes, I'll bless you if you hear it and listen to it and read it and study it and obey it. But so many, Tanya, have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, but there's been no, there's been no fruit in their lives. And so they get here and they go, is my name written in the book of life? It's a free gift, but we hold on to this false hope that all you've got to do is pray a prayer. The problem is the prayer is not in the Bible. Jesus says, repent, turn from the wicked, sinful life. Jesus says, believe. Pistis in the Greek means to be persuaded to action. The demons believe. Demons who are going to spend eternity under this judgment, whose names are not found in the book of life. So the book of Revelation invites us. Come on, come on, come on. It invites us to deep introspection to say, I've got to get right. When is this going to happen? We don't know. The scripture says that Christ will return like a thief in the night. What does that mean? We don't know. Could it be now? Everything is in place for his return. Am I ready? Am I excited for his return? So that's the question. Is my name written in the book of life? Do I know? And then the seventh word I would encourage you to ponder is the new heaven and the new earth. Chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city. I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I heard a voice from there, from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death, any mourning, any crying, any pain. We will reign and rule and worship and celebrate forever and ever and ever. There's no more death, no more disease. Is that going to happen? Merle, that's where I'm going, brother. Merle, because of your faith and your surrender, that's where we're going. You and I will reign and rule forever. One of my favorite preacher guys when I first got saved was a guy by the name of Adrian Rogers. That great voice of proclamation out of Memphis, Tennessee. And Adrian made this observation. He said, there's two books in the Bible the devil hates, Genesis and Revelation there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Word of God, and there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Word of God. In Genesis, Satan's doom is prophesied, but in Revelation, it's realized. In Genesis, we see the creation of the new heaven and or the uh, of heaven and earth, but in the book of Revelation, we see a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis, we see the first Adam reigning on earth. Like what Adrian said, but in the book of Revelation, we see the last Adam, Jesus Christ, reigning in glory. In Genesis, we see an earthly bride being brought to Adam, but in Revelation, we see a heavenly bride, the redeemed of the Lord, being brought to Jesus. In Genesis, we see the beginning of death and the curse. In Revelation, the Savior puts an end to death and curse forever and ever. In Genesis, Satan appears for the first time. But in Revelation, Satan appears for the last time. The book of Revelation brings everything from Genesis all the way here together. Again, Jesus Christ is the center of the entire Bible. 
but he is the rock star hero, elevated, emphasized one in the book of Revelation. When Jesus came the first time, he was veiled. He was hidden. Not so when he comes the second time. The first time he came, he came in humility. But the second time he comes, he will come in royalty. The first time he came, he was despised and rejected. But the second time he comes, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he came the first time, he came to be crucified. But when he comes the second time, he will be crowned king, Lord, authority, God of all. When he came the first time, he was nailed to a cross. But when he comes the second time, he'll be seated on a throne. When he came the first time, they spat upon him. When he comes the second time, he'll be worshipped. When he came the first time, he stood before Pilate. But when he comes the second time, Pilate would kneel before him. When he came the first time, he was cursed and he was mocked. But when he comes the second time, based on Revelation, he will hear, Worthy is the Lamb who is and was and is to come. Glory be his name and power forever. Do you know the Lamb? Do you know the Lamb? The risen Lamb of God. Blessed is he who reads, who hears, and who obeys.